Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone and then be seated. It was a great day today, as we have already mentioned. And um, out there on the, on the uh, Visitor Welcome Center counter, I want you to pick up some things. We have the Bible Institute graduation exercises form. You need to print like you did in kindergarten or first grade. All right, no scroll. And plainly, your name, how you want it to appear on your certificate. Yesterday, we completed session 1506. Now, all you need to do is between now and June 27th, go through the six sessions. Each of them is between two and three hours in length. It's up online. And if you'll do that, you can be part of our graduation on the 27th of June in the evening service. So do that. Also, out there on the... um, on the, on the uh, Welcome Center, we have the little chart, the day of the crucifixion and triumphal entry to resurrection chronology. This is borrowed. I remember when my dad used to make these up, something similar on a mimeograph. How many of you remember a mimeograph? Well, this is printed and copied out of a book, but this explains using uh, the guide at the top, there's a difference between Gentile reckoning, Roman days, and Hebrew or Jewish days, you know that our day starts at midnight, ends at midnight. You found out with your change of time this, uh, this weekend. But uh, the Hebrew days or the Jewish days began at sundown. So sundown was the beginning. And Jesus Christ was not part of three days in the tomb. He was three days and three nights, the Bible says. Even as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, So shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. This chart shows it. Uh, After what you would call uh, on on Tuesday night, after sundown, which is the beginning of their Wednesday, that's when Jesus observed the Lord's Supper with His disciples, the the Passover, and then uh, working into the Lord's Supper. He was taken out, of course, and uh, illegally tried that evening, crucified on what we would call Wednesday, taken down off the cross, before Wednesday sundown, the beginning of Thursday, had to do that because it was a high Sabbath that year. Pick those up. Don't start an argument or a fight with somebody. Also out there, we have the little document that says Patrick was a Baptist. It's written in red. It's not designed to get you in trouble. But to find somebody by the name of, of, of Hanahan or O'Callahan or something like that and tell them what a blessing it is that Patrick was such a, a great man. And then it shows, of course, that he was a soul winner and he was the, uh, the equivalent of a Baptist in the early days. Uh, an Englishman, not an Irishman. Make sure you pick that up. Plan of Salvation's on the back. That'll be a real help to you as well. Those things are out there. And uh, let's remember we're cranking up now for Resurrection Sunday. It's three weeks away. Want to get a great crowd out here, fill this place up on Sunday morning, April the 4th, 2021. Let's get a great group out uh, on that special, special day. Thank you for your faithful giving. It has been remarkable during these times of COVID restriction, and uh, we never told anybody to stay away, and we certainly did not tell them not to give. And God's people have been very, very good. The giving's been above normal, and so thank you for the tithes and the faith promise offerings. As you can see on the back board, we're ahead of schedule. Now our special love offering envelope at the top right, Zick, Z-I-C-K. Bert and Bertie Zick were supplementing their income so they could continue to do 
uh, open-air evangelism at flea markets and fairs that might be open in the Deep South, and we want to help them to be able to do that so that he doesn't have to work on the side. So let's help out with that. Thank you so much for being here tonight. This morning we preached this message. It's time to possess our spiritual possessions, and I absolutely believe that. I, I believe that many people are like uh, the Ephesians. We've been in the book of Ephesians for many, many months now on Wednesday evening. The Ephesians were, were fabulously rich uh, in spiritual wealth but didn't realize it. And uh, that's why you take Ephesians and study that alongside of the book of Joshua. Everybody understands the key now. It all works together and uh, praise the Lord for the truth that we have. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible tonight and turn with me to our text verse. Our text verse is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 12. Verse number 12. Where it says, Then beware lest thou forget the Lord. Beware lest thou forget the Lord. These words being spoken to folks who were about to possess the land. And as they're getting ready to go in to where God had prepared them a land with, with buildings they hadn't built and vineyards and farms that they hadn't planted, but God was going to give them all of this, uh, they needed to be careful as we today in 2021 need to be so careful that we don't forget the Lord. You say, how can I ever forget the Lord? Why, as you preached, preacher, His fingerprints are all over the universe. How can we forget the Lord? Well, it's not in the sense of forgetting that He exists. It's just forgetting Him as being part of our everyday life, part of our everyday experiences, part of our conversation, part of our relationship, part of our business, part of our life. We, we can't forget Him in our everyday business, but we are so, so quick to do that. Which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Be careful you don't forget the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, I pray tonight you'll fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me as I speak on such an important subject as remembering you in every part of our life. I pray that we will not forget. Help us to remember in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Cummins, who has given us uh, three tremendous daily devotionals uh, incorporating Baptist history. Uh, each one is entitled, This Day in Baptist History. Uh, Brother Cummins was a friend of ours in life and has now gone to heaven. And uh, his family and our family uh, have known each other for many years. We went to school with, college with his kids. They were there about the same time we were. And, uh, and we have uh, enjoyed and appreciated his ministry in various places. He followed my dad. Uh, in the great work that was done there in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He pastored that church for a number of years. But in speaking of those who rewrite or revise uh, the truth to make it match up with their own wrong ideas, kind of like the, the cancel culture people today, they've got it wrong. Uh, in response to that, Dr. Cummins said this, our desire has been to look into the past and honor those who've gone before us and gain enthusiasm from their exploits 
for the challenges of the day in which we live. That is the reason why we read real history. People with the good, the bad, the ugly, with their foibles and their flaws, we read because we want to know how God was working in and through their lives. How important is that? It's very important. It's important as far as American history is concerned. It's important as far as Baptist history is concerned. God has always had a plan. God has always had a people. God has always had a place. And we need to remember that. Life didn't start just now. It didn't start just yesterday. We have history to reference when it comes to our own experiences and our own challenges. So let me say it again. Dr. Cummins says, Our desire has been to look into the past, honor those who've gone before us, and gain enthusiasm from their exploits for the challenges of the day in which we live. I, I am a, a great reader of history, and I have enthusiasm for the exploits that God would have us to do. The Scriptures call upon God's children not to forget the ancient landmarks as we have read already. In fact, turn, uh, if you would, to Joshua chapter 4. We were in the book of Joshua this morning, and we read in the book of Joshua. Please notice what it says in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 and 3. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, uh, out of every tribe of man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. They were going to raise up a memorial, so that in time to come, when children would say, What mean you by these stones? They could tell their children, those coming after them, of the goodly heritage that they had. How God had blessed in the generations preceding them. God has been at work in the lives of people before we ever came on the scene. God was at work through our parents and grandparents and those that have come before. Those, those servants of the Lord who served so faithfully. In verse number 15, And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that they bear the ark of the testimony, that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. It was not a hallucination. It was not imagination. It was not, it was not creation out of thin air. It was God taking their circumstance and working a miracle and enabling them to rise above their circumstances. So not only were they able to physically cross the Jordan dry shot, so the repeated miracle of the Red Sea there on a smaller scale, but in a particular way, was reenacted once again. Another generation got to see what God can do. 
God is the same God. The God who opened up the Red Sea is the God who opened up the River Jordan. And He's the God who can open up your places of obstacle and, and hindrance as well and can work a mighty, mighty work in our time as well. He's the same God. He hasn't changed. He's still working. And what He did there was also to symbolize what we in our life, our faith life and walk would be doing. We would be crossing Jordan. Jordan represents not physical death as the songs often, often state, but it represents spiritual death, death to a self-willed way of living. And we cross over that and we cross into the promised land, which gospel music again frequently will refer to heaven. And heaven is a wonderful promised place, but the promised land represents victorious Christian living. We can be victorious every day. And God gives us the grace and the wherewithal to be able to face our challenges on a day-by-day -day basis. Future generations need to be able to look back and see our crossings of the River Jordan. Future generations need to look back and see how we stand against the enemy, the, the internal enemies that we will face in the promised land and how we won't shrink back or fail, but rather we'll circle Jericho and do it God's way, even though it seems ridiculous. The strategy is unbelievable, but we'll still circle every day, one time for six days, and on the seventh day we'll circle seven times, and then we'll shout with a great shout and blow the ram's horn and watch as those falls crumble, as those, <laughs> as those walls crumble, and they fall to the ground. Absolutely, God is still in that same business. We want to be careful to claim the promises, to believe and practice the principles. We don't want to do as Achan did when he went in and he pilfered that which was not his. We want to claim the promises, yes. And we want to stand upon and live out those principles as the walls come tumbling down and we see God at work. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. We're to instruct our children. Turn with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78 and verse number 4. We will not hide them from their children. The things that our fathers have told us. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. Amen. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Our responsibility here and now is to see to it that our children and children's children and every generation thereafter set their hope in God. But they will never set their hope in God if we're not crossing Jordan and living victoriously. If we're not in the land and battling according to God's strategy, His plan, no matter what we think. If we're setting aside our own strategies and our own plans and our own fleshly ideas and we're following the Lord wholeheartedly, then that generation that's coming up is going to see that what we believe is real, that we're putting feet 
to our faith. We're actually living it out every single day. We need that. And they need that. This is a throwaway society. It began years ago. It started sometime after, after the Depression generation came to maturity. There was the World War I and Depression generation and World War II, and my people came on scene. And everything that has been created just about has been made to break and be thrown away. Compare, for example, you might like the styling and the shape of the vehicles now or not. But if you run into something, you might as well, thank God you can walk away from it because they're probably not going to be able to fix it. It's going to go to pieces. The automobiles that they made around the time I was born, if you run into something with them, whatever that something was, probably broke. And that vehicle did not. It was made out of something that was so firm and so hard, and so stable. It was not throwaway stuff. To illustrate that, in our previous ministry, we had a special day for the kids, and we had them out there doing all kinds of different things in the afternoon. And one of the things was to take a sledgehammer to some vehicles that were brought in from the local junkyard. Unfortunately, the vehicles they brought in were from the 1950s. And when they got up on top of them, with a sledgehammer, they were able to, to crack the glass and that's all they could do. Everything else they hit, it was boing, bouncing back and bouncing back. It was so difficult. It was, you say, was, was, was it discouraging? It was comical. After a while, we just laughed about it. They're boing, they get up there and it would bounce back because it was not made to collapse like the material that cars are made of now. The throwaway society carried over into other areas of our life. Pretty soon, relationships, the supposed professed faith of people, things have been changing, things that shouldn't change. We should not remove the ancient landmarks. But those things are being thrown away. People are being thrown away. 1973, the Supreme Court, did a terrible, wicked thing. We're still paying for it. 64 million babies that we know of have been legally thrown away since then. We need to repent. And if America does not officially repent, then God will have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to them. I'm telling you, we're living in a throwaway society. That's why more than ever, we need to be restoring and acknowledging the ancient landmarks and letting our kids know that there are some things for which we stand that have been around for years and years. And there are some reasons why we stand for those things. I remember in <clears throat> Dr. Terry's Baptist history book, The Story of Athanasius, Athanasius, of course, was a lone voice at the Council of Nicaea. It was told by Emperor Constantine that his position was untenable. 
that it was a minority position. His position was our position regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that Jesus Christ is and has always been and will always be very God. He didn't suddenly become the Christ. He wasn't just a created being who in turn was given the Jehovah's Witness task of creating everything else. That's called Arianism. Now, it's not Arianism with a Y, like white supremacy, but it's Arianism with an I. And Arianism is the false teaching of Arius that Jesus Christ was not completely and fully God, but He was. He was 100% man on earth and 100% God at the same time. He was God in a body. He is very God. And that's what you tell those cult members on the, on the step when they come to your house. You don't invite them in and you don't give them uh, uh, your prayer for God's speed, but rather you just tell them the truth. You say, now, if we're going to talk about what the Bible says, I'll tell you. Otherwise, we don't have anything to say. Thank you for your time. Athanasius was standing against a whole council that was made up largely of what would be the ancestors or the predecessors of Jehovah's Witnesses and other cult members who don't believe that Jesus Christ is very God. And so he was told that the whole world stood against him. And Athanasius was said to reply, Then I stand against the whole world. Amen. Amen. That is precisely where we are tonight. We stand against everything that's wrong out there. We want to see souls saved, yes. We want to have a heart for people, but their error is contrary to the Word of God. And what's going on in religious circles, political circles, social circles, you name the venue, is against what God is saying in His Word. And therefore, if the whole world is against us, then we are against the whole world. And in these days, these throwaway days, let's give our kids the truth to stand for. Psalm 16, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Psalm 16. Please turn there with me. Psalm 16... And verse number 6, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. We have a godly legacy. Now, we didn't do anything to earn it or to deserve it, but we have been given it as a stewardship not to alter. When the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 that, he was going to, in turn, train generations after him that God had given him. He was passing the torch without altering it. And that's it. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. There is a God in heaven. That same God lives within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That same God, the Lord Jesus Christ, walks with the, 
with me and talks with me and tells us, reassures us that we are His. We belong to Him. We know for a fact. We have blessed assurance. Therefore, there should be no doubt about who we are and why we're here and where we're going and what we're supposed to be about. They made sure in Bible times and we should follow the very same pattern. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And with fear and trembling, I'm taking the Biblia Hebraica. And you have it in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. In Hebrew, it's Shema Yisrael Adonai Yehlohine. Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kavad Maputalia Wamba. You say sound like you're speaking in tongues. That's the Shema. The Shema. And the Shema is repeated as you see it in Deuteronomy and verse 5 of chapter 6. Go back to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be where? In thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, which they still do in orthodox circles today. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, that's a good idea, and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, and thou shalt have eaten and be full. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We are to fear the Lord. That's old-fashioned, godly, absolute respect and submission to God. What God says in His Word. Those orthodox people treat their book as if it is God. And we do not worship. We're not, we're not bibliolaters. We don't worship the Bible, but we worship the God of the Bible. And we honor every single God-breathed word that is preserved in our English language in the King James Bible. Therefore, we do not correct it. It, it corrects us. In this throwaway society... The only people who are going to have a viable testimony are the people who have an unchanging God revealed in an unchanging book. Everybody else is going to find themselves standing on their heels, shifting backwards and stuttering and stammering and trying to find some solid ground upon which to stand. They haven't got any. They don't have a God who doesn't change if they don't have a Bible that doesn't change, then they have nothing. Praise the Lord. We have the absolute truth. 
We must teach and apply true history, both Baptist history, American history, and do so with fear and trembling. Because if we fail in this mission, this is more vital, this will be more deadly than any other mission that's been undertaken, at least in our lifetime. We need to value what we have. Value our faith. That's why I wouldn't be anywhere but in church when church is in session. I wouldn't be anywhere but in the will of God 24-7 because He's got a plan for us. And I'm one of His. And I belong to Him. And I am not my own. I am bought with a price. And so I don't have the right to dictate where I go and what I do with whom I want. But instead, I say, Lord, Thy will be done. Not my will, but Thine be done. I value what I have. I have a direct connection to God Almighty. I ask Him. I'm not going to waste my time in front of some stupid electronic box watching it and be told what I'm supposed to think about what's going on in the world around me. First of all, that is an insult to my intelligence. And secondly, it's an insult to the God who owns me. It's nobody else's business. What I think and what I believe, it is the business of God Almighty to tell me that. The value of what we have needs to be properly weighed out. The martyrs who died, who died for the faith, have certainly given us a reason to pause and think about, at least think five minutes about what we believe and how we decide what we decide and where we go from here and what we say, in what setting we say it. We need to be as effective as we can be in each moment. But we need to recognize that those moments all strung together mean that God has us for as long as He wants us for the long term. We need to be careful not to cut off that string. Make sure that string is just as, as long as God wants it to be. But if God wants it to be this long or this long or that long, that's up to God. We need to be at His beckon and His call and do what He wants us to do and be what He wants us to be and pay the price of the martyrs if necessary. Say, well, preacher, what is it? What is it? that we have to keep in our focus, that we have to keep our eyes on in order to maintain this position that we're preaching on tonight. Here it is. Here it is. In order for us to stay focused over and over and over and over and over again, sing them over to, again to me, wonderful words of life. We need repetition. Repetition. The people who say, I don't want to go to church because I've heard that before, are missing the point. If something explodes in, let me just say, Oklahoma, tonight, you will see it 1,000 times between now and next Sunday night on that box, that electronic box. And they will be talking about it and analyzing it and giving you every twist possible about it, and somebody who is a Christian is going to be watching that a bunch of times 
and they're not going to be thinking about what God wants them to think about, and they're not going to be going where God wants them to go, and they're not going to be saying what God wants them to say, and they're not going to be doing what God wants them to do because they're so focused on somebody else's twist and take on that explosion that took place a thousand miles away. Now, I'm, my heart goes out to whoever suffered because of that explosion. There have been explosions and tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes since time began. And we feel bad for the victims and those people who are hurting. But that is not where our focus goes from here to there to here to there to here to there to the next event so that Christians don't even function like Christians anymore. Our kids may be so anesthetized that reality is no longer a factor with them. It's whatever is pictured, whatever is presented, rather than what actually is. As we're raising kids and grandkids, we want them to be aware of what's really happening and what God says about what we're supposed to be and do in what's really happening right now. The entire educational process as it has been regurgitated by liberalism is designed to take away that kind of incisive thinking and analysis from our boys and girls who are growing up to be the next generation in charge. They're not going to be able to figure anything out except what is presented in the format that it's presented. They won't be able to take what's happening in reality and the Word of God and be led by the Holy Spirit and, and be able to handle it in a way that will bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we, how can we combat this? How can we deal with this? Repetition. Repetition. Tell them what happened. Tell them what happened 2,000 years ago. Tell them what happened 4,000 years ago. Tell them what happened 100 years ago. Tell them what has happened since then and what's right and what's wrong about what has happened since then and how our grandparents and great-grandparents were able by their fear of the Lord and their dependence upon God Almighty to get through their life. They weren't waiting for a stimulus check. Excuse me. They were praying and waiting for God to answer. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, preacher, you just, you just lost a couple people, just tuned out. I hope not. But I'll take my chances. Repetition. The way we used to teach the kids to read in the Christian school is the best way. You teach them by phonics. And you teach them by drilling. You teach them by phonics, and you teach them by drilling. We discovered early on in our 30-some years of Christian education a little device called the Victory Drill Book. Anybody ever hear of it? The Victory Drill Book. And it would rhyme all these words. After the kids had learned their basic sounds, their phonics, and they learned their diphthongs and they had learned their combinations then we would give them the drill book and they would be timed reading through rhyming words fast as they could as fast as they could as fast as they could when they reached a certain speed they'd move on 
This was happening at the same time when other educational systems, not Christian and not classical in origin, were, were failing miserably and kids were not able to read. We were in one Christian school in which we had in one year between 20 and 30 readers who could read thousands of words, thousands of words in a short space of time. They were speed readers, and they, they had a comprehension above 90%. And you say, why did we do that? Was that just, we are just pushing the limit, just trying to be competitive? And by the way, we held the world's record in that Christian school for the most speed readers. We did it because I believe, once again, in the God who gave us His book, and He wants us to read it. He wants us to know for ourselves what it says. Thou shalt, thou shalt, it shall, thou shalt, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Repetition, repetition. We enjoy the fact that we have a goodly heritage. One of the great things that we are on the receiving end of, we did nothing for, is that there is continuity and perpetuity. Churches just like ours go all the way back to the time of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It says in Matthew chapter 16, passage of Scripture where old Dr. Cedarholm used to say to us in Bible college, now students, let your Bibles fall open to Matthew 16, 18. He preached so often on it. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In that passage of Scripture, he is not saying that Peter is the rock. Peter is a little pebble. Jesus Christ, of course, is the great rock, and this is the bedrock confession. And he says, I will build my church. He would be in the process of building his church. He's speaking in the abstract. The way you understand the abstract single, singular is by looking at the concrete singular. And so he was speaking of his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was speaking of its perpetuity. Gates are not offensive weapons, but are defenses. And those defenses of hell would not be effective against the aggressive outreach of the local New Testament church. I believe that Jesus Christ wants us to tell people about salvation. He wants us to declare the truth of the Word of God and not be ashamed. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed and we shouldn't be ashamed. Praise the Lord that there has always been a witness, a testimony from the time of Christ until now. What a shame, what a shame if we should surrender that. I'm saying to you tonight, and all of you viewing out there, I'm saying to you, we will not surrender the local church. It's not for sale. It will not be negotiated. It will not be bargained with. We will not give up. We will not back up. We will not shut down.
piece too of this strategy. Not only do we have the continuity and the perpetuity of local New Testament churches, we have the unchanging Word of God. I feel sorry for people who have to constantly come up with, go to, go to the bookstore and buy a new Bible because theirs is outdated. I don't know what the latest letters are. I think I know which, which they are. They're coming along. You've got multiples of different things. And you've got, you've got teachers and authors and publishing houses that don't have the backbone that God gave them to stand up and say, no, this is confusion. This is absolute confusion. Sometimes it's a cha-ching money thing. Some, sometimes it's a status thing. And that's why people in colleges and fellowships of Baptist churches and pastors won't stand up and say it just like it is. I'm going to tell you right now. In the English language, for the English-speaking world, there is only one correct Bible. It is the King James Bible. I'm not talking about something new. I'm talking about the old King James Bible. That's it. That's your choice. You have no other choice. You can choose it, or you can choose something that's taken from a corrupt manuscript. We are not going to compromise. As long as I'm alive and able to preach and can pastor this church, we will have the King James Bible. We will believe the King James Bible. It will be exclusively the King James Bible. That's it. Nothing else. Don't need anything else. And the Lord willing... Whoever comes after me, we will have the King James Bible and only the King James Bible. And whoever comes after him will have the King James Bible and only the King James Bible. And I'm telling you now, I don't know if it's possible, but I'll ask the Lord, if you don't have the King James Bible, I'm going to rise up out of the grave and come back and haunt you. King James! Say, are you King James only? I'm King James only, but I'm not King James ugly. I stand for the Word of God. You can't have this one and this one that's different from each other and both of them be the Word of God. You can't take this pile of manuscripts and this pile of manuscripts and say it's the same when they're not. They're different. Absolutely. You can't do like one great man but wrong man said back in the 1950s, when I hold this Bible and this Bible, I'm holding the winnow sum of the Word of God. That's confusion. God gave us one book, the King James Bible. Now, you out there that are watching that haven't made your decision as far as where you want to be, under whose preaching you want to be, let me tell you right now, this is the make or break deal right here. If whoever it is you've been listening to on the side is not King James only, he's got a problem and you've got a problem. Whatever that man's problem is, you've got that problem. Come on. Continuity and perpetuity of the local New Testament church, the unchanging Word of God. Turn over to chapter 24 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Matthew 24 and verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. If my King James Bible is not the inspired and preserved Word of God for the English-speaking world, then somewhere on this planet... There has to be one because Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if this isn't it, you better go find it. But I've already found it. Praise God. Praise God. Repetition, so important. Why do you think in Deuteronomy chapter 5, 
the Holy Spirit repeated the Ten Commandments. When we've got it back in Exodus chapter 20. And the answer is this. That a generation that was disobedient, that didn't have faith to go in and occupy the land that God said He would give to them, they wouldn't have to do anything but just trust Him and believe Him. And every place that their foot would tread, He would give that to them. They could just go claim. They, they could possess their possessions. That, that generation didn't have courage, didn't believe it, didn't have conviction. And so they had to die off in the wilderness. And that's a couple of funerals. <laughs> Several funerals a day for 40 years. And God wanted to repeat it for the new generation coming through. There's a new generation coming through right now. They're coming up. And they need to know that there were men and women of God in the first great awakening that stood against every trend of liberalism and unbelief. They need to know that there were men and women of God who may not have always agreed with us in every point of doctrine, but they were willing to set up a lean-to or set up a tent or a tabernacle of some kind as this country was being developed and as folks were moving west and wherever they would go, there would be a preacher and he would stand up with a Bible in his hand. And, and maybe he didn't know very much, but he knew that... that God is real and the Bible is true and Jesus still saves. And people would gather and folks would get saved. Revivals would break out. There was a second great awakening. Then there was what we would call the beginnings of a revival and around the time of the Civil War. We want our kids to know not only were there two sides fighting each other in the Civil War, but there were chaplains and preachers and godly men and women who were winning souls to Christ. And in the camps, north and south, there were preachers who were preaching the gospel because men were about to go out and load those single-shot weapons and fire off and, and kill or be killed. And in the meantime, they needed to know where they were going when they died. And they were getting saved and they were getting baptized and there were revivals breaking out during the Civil War. But you won't hear that from most people. We need to let our kids know that there were great revivalists like Moody, Wilbur Chapman, Sunday, others of that stripe. There were local church pastors and some of them preaching to a dozen or two dozen or 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 larger crowds, but faithfully preaching the Word of God and not giving up and not quitting. And there were great debates taking place in the denominational conferences, so much so that the mainline denominations, I'm talking about Baptists, talking about Northern Baptists and Southern Baptists, I'm talking about Methodists, I'm talking about Presbyterians, I'm talking about Lutherans. There was a day when you could walk into any one of those churches and hear a gospel message and get saved. Not so anymore. Most Baptist churches, you can't walk in, sit down, listen through one service and get saved. And certainly not in those others. Continuity and perpetuity of the local New Testament churches. The unchanging Word of God. The repetition. The repetition. Telling that generation again. Telling them again. Presenting the truth again. Here it is. We need the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments show us that we need the Lord. We're dependent upon Him. We can't save ourselves. 
Only God can save us. There is a need for our soul's salvation, and that can only come by way of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Number three. Number three. Here it is. Not only an unbroken line of churches, and I'm not ashamed to be a Baptist. Not only is there an unchanging Bible, I'm not ashamed to be a King James Bible believer. King James only. But also because of the people who've gone before, some of whom I just mentioned. The heroes of the faith. Not some guy that's because of genetics seven feet tall and he can throw a ball through a hoop and he's on the poster of your kid's room at, at, at home and he might be a Christian, praise God if he is, but he get, gets paid millions, tens of millions, even hundreds of millions of dollars to play a kid's game. How about a picture on the wall like those missionaries out there? How about a preacher of the gospel? Pastor, one of my Timothys, probably going to be watching here in a little while when he gets done with his service, told me and I told my men at the last meeting we had, it happened to eight pastors yesterday and eight pastors today and eight pastors tomorrow. And that's just on average. 250 pastors are quitting the ministry every month due to the depression and the division in the churches during these COVID restriction times. 250 a month. Now, they're not all Bible believers. They're not all Baptists. 258 yesterday, eight today, eight tomorrow, eight the next day, eight the next day. There are wicked people who are tearing the spirituality, the very soul, out of our country. And they feel like it'll be an improved society when the churches are all shut down. Sounds like Russia. Sounds like what they did. 1917. Bolsheviks didn't take over right away. It was the socialists. The Kerensky government took over. Overthrew the Tsar. Tsar might have been guilty of some things. At least they had some churches open. Kerensky came in and took over. And then Lenin and his people came in, the Bolsheviks, and they took over. The first ones they lined up against the wall and shot were the socialists, the Kerensky people. So the socialists had better be careful because right behind you are the communists. Thank God for the real heroes. Get yourself a big glossy poster of a missionary. Put that up on your wall, kids. A preacher of the gospel. Somebody who's willing to stand up. Oh, by the way, I've not had the first thought about quitting and I'm not going to quit by the grace of God. It's not going to happen. Don't forget. That's what... That's what it says in Deuteronomy. Don't forget, lest thou forget. Beware, lest thou forget. Don't forget. The people who have served God, 
have been attacked, sometimes because of our foibles and our flaws. And I'm ashamed to have to say that I know that this denomination and that denomination, this group has its, its sin and we're not exempt from it as Bible believers. There have been leaders who have fallen. There have been churches that have fallen. But there are heroes of the faith. And 2,000 years ago, the Lord stood on a hillside with 11 heroes. And He said, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Everywhere. You go and you win them. Get them saved. And you baptize them. And then you train them. You indoctrinate them. You give them the truth. The truth will set them free. And you do it. And do it again. And do it again. And do it again. Like it says in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we have all those Bible names. But then we have, we have that section where we don't have any names named because it covers everybody in principle who's ever stood for the faith and some who have, who have uh, paid the maximum price for their stand. Imperfect, yes. I've just finished teaching about Abraham. Imperfect. Pretty, pretty good. Good, bad, but some ugly stuff too. Whenever he was in the presence of a powerful world leader, he just, it seemed like, couldn't do anything, couldn't tell the truth about his wife. And yet, in spite of that, and that was wrong, in spite of that, he was called the friend of God. Abraham wasn't perfect, but he's the friend of God. I want to be known as the friend of God. Why was he known as the friend of God? Because he believed God. And he took his young adult son up a hill where Jesus Christ would die about 1,800 years later on an old rugged cross, Mount Moriah. He took him up that hill. He said to the two witnesses at the bottom of the hill, we'll come again. We're coming back. We're coming back. He had every intention of doing what God said. He was going to slay his son because he was commanded to do so. And God stopped him in the act. And God provided himself a lamb. Came back down with his son. He was a man of faith. Man of faith. May we be men and women of faith. May we raise a generation of young people, young adults who will be men and women of faith. David was not perfect. David made so many mistakes in his life that he probably could not get, he's not running for it, but he could not, could not get elected pastor of the church because of his background and the mistakes he made, the things that he did. Some of them were very glaring. But David was called a man after God's own heart. Imperfect, yes. These men do not provide us with excuses for sin. But they provide us with hope that we can still be a blessing and be blessed of God. God has a perfect plan for imperfect people like us to serve Him. He's always had a plan. He's always had a people. He's always had a place. And my Bible says, don't forget it. Beware lest thou forget. Never forget. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where I brought you through. 
Don't forget the Red Sea. Don't forget uh, the Jordan River. Don't forget Jericho. Don't forget the battlegrounds. Don't, don't forget that. Don't forget. We've got to keep on repeating and telling and telling and telling. And we've got to continue to show the young people an example so someday they can say, my dad, my mom, those adult Christians were a true example of the grace of God. In spite of their flaws and their foibles, they were an example of the grace of God. That's the highest compliment, to be a friend of God, to be a man after God's own heart. Such a high compliment. May God enable us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Let me see it. Something spoke to my heart. Yes. God bless you. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. But before we do, if you do not know that Jesus Christ is your own personal Savior, would you call upon the name of the Lord? Right now, pray from your heart to God and mean something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. to leave his throne in heaven why would he come so far to save my heart from sin and how it hurts to know the worst he had to suffer just because he chose to die for what I did. I owe him everything. I owe him everything. All because he took my place that day at Calvary His willing sacrifice Gave me a brand new life How could He love me so I owe Him everything He gives me grace to find he's ever faithful I'll say it now and then the next ten thousand years 
took my place that day at Calvary. Oh